What's happening, security gang? Well, we're here at Black Hat. Uh, I'm with my good friend Danny Wolf at Audience First, and she's she's not on camera with us because she's apparently camera shy. Oh, come on. Yeah, she's apparently camera shy. But we're we're at the Palazzo here, um, really having a good time, and, and I've got a very special man sitting across from me today. And, and, I, and I say that because he really is someone special. He flew all the way in from Deutschland. Uh, Marcel Kaifenheim. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Kaifenheim. My let, let my uh, Polish German roots take play here. Let them sow their their royal seeds and how I say this name. Um, so for for those who don't know Marcel and it's and, and if you don't, you should give him a follow after. You, you will organically do this after this this show because he's he's is a fifteen. You've been fifteen years in pen testing, then, right? Yeah, 15 years and being a, a, a team leader, two and a half years as a team leader solution architect over with the team at Pantera, who are one of our partners here at Black Hat. Thanks for making the trip from from Deutschland to beautiful Las Vegas. Frankfurt, Vegas, very different. Uh, yeah, yeah. Although, ironically, a lot of people would actually say Frankfurt is uh, Germany's Las Vegas simply because of the concentration of money here and skyscrapers and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, but, but Frankfurt's also like the, the, the capital of Europe. when it, The ECB is based in Frankfurt, the European yeah, Central Bank, right? I mean, all major German banks and, and, and European banks are based out of Frankfurt. Yeah, so it's the money capital. Of it, it is. The, there's no banks in Vegas. There's ATM machines in Vegas. There's no banks in Vegas. The casino's the bank. <laughs> I mean, one could argue that banks and casinos are in a similar business, right? Right. Uh, uh, but but we'll we'll leave that argument for a different day. You know. So so you and I were as, as we're getting ready to to talk about this sh the, the, this kind of recording and we were prepping. We were kind of talking about this idea of we're bolting on all these new things on tech today, right? And, and we're bolting on this stuff and it's, it's, it's fascinating because we're, we're trying to make a, a 1980 Nissan turn into a 2023 Tesla, but only by changing the outside. The engine is still a 1980s Nissan, right? And, and you kind of had an interesting take on some of the stuff you've seen over the years as a penetration tester, where you see kind of all these bolt-ons of tech kind of sit in on stuff but 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 at the end of the day you're we're, we're, the foundation is still flawed tell me a little bit about that so uh back when i started getting into hacking which was actually a lot longer than 15 years ago i guess this was the, uh, the late 90s i want you to keep your mouth close to the mic more so right. <laughs> so uh, mid late 90s when i started getting into hacking well um, I started off by just taking a closer look at the protocols that comprise the, the internet of the day. Things like SMTP for email and HTTP for web. And okay, you also had a couple of other things uh, here and there. You did already see a bit of SMB more in, in corporate environments. And this was decades ago. And we still use these protocols today. And uh, we're still talking about HTTP, SMB, and uh, HTTP for a lot of what we do today uh, privately and also at work. And it's the same protocol. There have been a couple uh, additions since then, but nobody has to use, for example, SMB uh, 3.0 today. You can still use 1.0 if you want to. And um, I, back then, I started looking at what else you can do with these protocols. For example, I found out if you 
send someone an email, well, on a protocol level, they literally ask you who you are, and you can put in whatever you want. So, um, decades later today, that equates to part of the security community. Uh, having products you know, to make sure, uh, to, uh, to prevent things like email fraud and also malware being spread by email, so on and so forth. And obviously, we all know about uh, serious vulnerabilities in, in old protocols like SMB, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And web uh, attack surface all resulting from, again, in a decades old protocol that we've used uh, for decades now, and we just started tacking on more and more requirements onto what we want from these protocols, but they, the protocols themselves haven't changed intrinsically. Well the, so well, the internet hasn't changed, right? I mean, right. There, there's, a, this, there's this kind of world that they're creating that they're calling it Web 3.0. But you and I both know that, that the foundation of our existing web and, 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 the, and the transition to a potential Web 3.0, we're, we're still a decade away from it, right? I mean, you've been doing this for 15 years. Let's talk a little bit about some of the common issues you see with this. What are some of the most pressing kind of challenging issues you see in, in, in kind of the old kind of traffic being bolted on with new things? What's that causing for organizations? Well, organizations aren't really aware of the inherent vulnerabilities of you know, the protocols that uh, the, the commonplace applications are using. I mean, this is actually something, in my opinion, something that the developers and manufacturers should be actually much more aware of. So I mean, anyone that's uh, still using, just as an example, SMB 1.0 as the backbone of uh, whatever storage solution, just as an example, you know, that, they're, that they're manufacturing for organizations, I think that's, that's absolutely careless. I mean, we're, we're all aware of the very serious vulnerabilities that have been found again and again within these legacy protocols, and we should say nowadays, but still there's no uh, binding drive to change that. And organizations still use these products, they use these old protocols. So there's very little security by design, security out of the box. And this is what attackers leverage a lot of the time. So when I was carrying out manual penetration testing, and also something that Pentara does as part of its automated security validation is go for the tried and tested methods that work in pretty much each and every internal environment. For example, um, trying to use legacy layer two name resolution protocols in order to grab, hash it, and then use them to further attacks. I mean, this works very, very reliably, and we haven't really seen it change yet. Even though um, everyone knows that using these layer two name resolution protocols is dangerous, if they're still activated out of the box in each and every new installation of very ubiquitous operating systems. Did you see this different regionally? I mean, being that you're German, I'm in the US, right? Pantera's in Israel, right? Do you see this uh, uh, being a kind of like a regional problem or is it just everywhere? Meaning it's, say- it's, 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 in Germany and it's in the US and it's in, it's the same everywhere or or is this regional? It's everywhere, I would say. It really is. So I don't I'm not aware of any region that's really intrinsically better at this. If any, I would say maybe Israel. Maybe just given how well rooted cybersecurity is in the culture. But really I would say it's a very ubiquitous problem to see it we see it all. How do you think we get to a, to a place where these old protocols start to get the attention they require? 
Well, that's what uh, security researchers work at every day uh, to, to find the existing vulnerabilities in existing products. And uh, the thing is, security researchers, they don't make any new holes themselves. They just discover the holes that are already there. And bringing these to the attention of the vendors via the usual responsible disclosure is what needs to continue happening. And we, um, we need to make sure that the manufacturers know that there are vulnerabilities in the protocols and the technologies they use so they can continue improving the products, setting up patches, and so on and so forth. Um, but the real change needs to happen on a manufacturing So let's talk about the real change at the manufacturer level, right? Because at the end of the day, there's, there's talk of standards. Right. I've yet to see a regulation prevent a vulnerability. I've yet to see a regulation prevent a breach. You're not going to talk about this a little bit. You know, where do you see what's the standard? What's the change that inherently needs to be done to really fix this, in your opinion? I would say, I'm clearly on bikes, but I would really say automatic security validation. Absolutely. Well, um, well don't say you're biased. You're not biased. You, you, you work in a field you're passionate in. You very much believe in the product you're, 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 you're offering, a solution that you partner with companies with to solve it. Don't say you're, you're not biased. Right. I wouldn't say the word bias, right? I'd say the word is you're passionate about it, right? Like that's, that's, that's where the passion really lies is security validation, but continue, please. Because I, I don't like the word bias unless we're really highlighting the word bias. Right. So as long as manufacturers use protocols and technologies that we know open up attack surface to attackers, well, then as long as uh, organizations keep using these products, well, the, the, the attack surface is always going to be there, which is also why uh, attackers, be it penetration, testers, breaking into actual cyber criminals, always have a couple of things that they're going to try out in each and every new engagement, because they know that some very ubiquitous products and operating systems, obviously not going to mention any names, that use old vulnerable protocols. So there's always going to be that level of lowest hanging fruit present in each and every environment, as long as the manufacturers are still using these vulnerable protocols and technologies. And um, organizations need to keep on checking whether they are effective. And it has to be said, not everyone, also the security team of an organization, is a cybersecurity expert. And that's still a different discipline. So we still do need this attacking expertise applied in some way, manual or even better in an automated manner, just to always be aware of the vulnerabilities that might have been introduced to your organization with the next new product that you might afford. Yeah, the, so so you bring up, as, as a practitioner, right, you bring up something that is constantly on my mind. And it, it, it's constantly on my mind for, for a multitude of reasons. One, I don't always have that visibility. I don't always know the bottom line protocol that sits on a company until I do some sort of security validation at some point or another. And typically you can't do that security validation before you buy, right? Because we know the process is someone goes out and says, we need to buy tool X and then and, and whatever product that is. All right. It goes through the, the, the standard third party, you know, vendor management program goes through all kind of the validations, the security questionnaires, the risk score, 
you get an implementation plan security sometimes sees the implementation plan sometimes it doesn't right and then what ends up happening in, in, in a lot of these cases is this product gets put on my environment giving you first world experience here right and my vulnerability management team my automated testing team will give me a ring and go we've got a uh critical or a high vulnerability coming from this endpoint with this product with the, from this API or this interconnection. And you bring it up to the vendor. So I'll, you know, reach out to the vendor, do responsible disclosure on our end as a partner, right? We're a customer. My team found something and through our, you know, automated security validation of the product, however we implemented it. And what what happens there is typically their security team gets extremely defensive, right? And we're told it doesn't have impact on product. Now, had I known that before I implemented it, before my company done all of that, that, that that's a different world. But I, I don't think we're there yet, right? I mean, I'm not, you know, do you think there's a way to do security validation prior to a potential implementation? Well, absolutely. Um... So a lot of um, manufacturers do also do their own in-house testing and fuzzing and so on and so forth, and probably do find a lot of vulnerabilities on their own before bringing out the new version of a new product. Hi. But um, humans being uh, fallible, there's always going to be some vulnerability that doesn't get found by their own testing before they bring out the new version. It gets found, it gets found by someone else, either by a bad person that might end up uh, then being a zero-day vulnerability or by a security researcher that then responsibly discloses it. But there's always going to be a vulnerability of some sort in any new product. And that's just uh, the, the nature of, uh, of IT. So we're always going to need validation after a product's been brought out, after it's been implemented. Because it also has to be said, um, security can also depend on how it's implemented, it has to be said. So a product might be safe or unsafe out of the box and can then and be implemented in a safe or unsafe manner, manner, right? Yeah. I mean, w w we, this is the dilemma, right? It's a dilemma that, that a lot of organizations, I'm sure, in the work you do, you kind of view where you take a product that could be inherently secure and secure. You grab that product, you're, 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 you're viewing that product. You're, you're playing around with it, right? You install it, you implement it, you test it, and everything is safe until all of a sudden you turn it into from your testing environment to your prod environment, and then there's a different configuration. Right. And that different configuration is the difference between a vulnerability and a threat to security. Right. And um, depending on the constellation of products and, and, and protocols and technologies involved, well, then there might end up being a vulnerability in a product or an operating system that simply wasn't de detectable before that. I mean, so. Uh, there, How often do you see that, Marcel? We see that actually. Every now and then, every now and then, uh, we identify attack vectors, or really, let's say the, the research community in general identifies attack vectors that combine a number of different products and technologies and components, and individually, they don't present any sort of serious attack surface. They don't 
could be nothing uh, to be exploited there. But in combination, using one bit of information here, using one CVE over here, and then using that to uh, extract a bit of information from the next component and so on and so forth. In combination, then that actually defines a very exploitable, very serious attack vector. So that happens as well. So I don't want to uh, put responsibility completely into individual uh, manufacturers' um, uh, shoes because it has to be said um, one component alone might be completely safe. And in a real life environment, in a combination with other uh, products and in combination with certain specific configurations that the manufacturer simply might haven't been able to foresee, or then, then a new attack surface presents itself, but that simply couldn't have been detected beforehand. So we're always going to need an element of validation after the implementation. See, you're bringing up something that I think is. is is a challenge for so many practitioners of, of, of the trade of cybersecurity, right? And information security and data security. And this is kind of how we kicked off this episode, right? We were talking about a 2023 Tesla is what we're all trying to build, a shiny box that's, that's effective, that's convenient, that's modern, yet the engine isn't a battery engine. So it's a Tesla body, but you see it at the gas station because it's running in yeah. 1980s. <laughs> Uh, Nissan engine and we're bolting on all these things and we're not really thinking of the fact that the the, the bottom line engine is, is is old it's flawed it's vulnerable it's inherently out of touch with today's environment right and so we look at people like you Marcel security researchers pen testers you know, white hat hackers, right? I know we're at black hat, but white hat hackers, the people who uh, believe in responsible disclosure and ethics. And, and how do we go about solving this? I mean, how do we go about really creating an environment where the base of it is a modern engine rather than the old one? Well, it really needs to come bottom up. So we do need to modernize and secure the underlying protocols and technologies that products are built up on. So that does need to happen. But again, that needs to happen on a manufacturing level. Okay. So, uh, so let's talk about that for a second, because we've talked about the manufacturer level. We haven't dug deep. Let's, let's, let's dig into that for just a moment. If a manufacturer, if a customer doesn't select it from a manufacturer, if I don't make it a requirement to buy, then it doesn't be. be get met, right? Do you agree with that statement? Yeah. It, it's, it's fair to say that if the market says do X, you do X. And, and, and we see that, by the way, staying on the car example, if you look at every single new car, 2021, 2020, 2021 and above, new cars only, they all have these really big screens in the middle, right? These really big touch screens. That was kind of like a, like a Tesla, a staple. And then Everyone was like, well, that's really cool. Let me get a big screen in, the, in my middle console. And every car manufacturer in the world started doing that. Right? Customers asked for it. They delivered it. Now those they, they introduce a whole new set of challenges and vulnerabilities to the car market. But, hey, who cares? There's a big shiny screen there that can you can stream Netflix on while you're driving. <laughs> right? How do we do that with manufacturers? How does the customer come to the manufacturer and say, you need to build a big screen that's secure, that inherently fixes the flaws in these products that's hard and that's also going to be difficult because some of the 
manufacturers that really perpetuate uh, attack services that attackers use for. Uh, all the time, some of these manufacturers have an absolute monopoly on their market. And uh, again, I'm not going to mention any names, but let's say the world operating systems, there might be a few big players uh, uh, whose operating systems still today even include, let's say, uh, these age-old layer two name resolution protocols that any penetration tester or cyber criminal is going to leverage in any internal engagement. And uh, if you have a manufacturer that has this absolute monopoly um, on their market, well, they can do pretty much what they want. I mean, the industry isn't going to refuse the operating system of, of XYOZ and then completely also that's what's going to happen because business needs to continue today as well. And that also brings me then to the next thing that I, that I think that needs to happen in order to really bring about real change is that apart from manufacturers also we all on a consumer level and firstly i mean um, organizations we need to be aware of the fact that products that we implement might bring vulnerabilities and this is just reality we want this to change sure but it's not going to change overnight and we still need to keep on doing business in that time and we still need to be able to secure our business in the time so in so that time Sorry, go ahead. Go, no, no, please finish your thought. In that time, we need to make sure that our IT infrastructures are secure um, while knowing that they're not going to be secure out of the box. And things with individual products that might be secure in the manufacturer's perspective might end up not being secure in my implementation. So also there, I need to make sure that my own environment is secure. So that, that's my responsibility as an organization. It's not exclusively the manufacturer's responsibility. And then, at the last level, the individual. That's you, me, at work, and also outside of work, we need to make sure that we adhere to sensible security practices. So, I love what you just said. Now, let's take that a second a bit deeper, because I think there's something that we fail to do as security practitioners, and, 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 and to the audience listening or watching, uh, this isn't a plug, but this is the this is true. We don't practice security the way we do business. And here's what I mean by that. If your business operates 24-7, 365, and you do security 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, you're failing your business. If your business operates 24-7, 365, then you need to be practicing security 24-7, 365. Yeah. And that includes doing validation. Doing validation of your stack 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. That's actually an extremely important point. It uh, reminds me of uh, one of the epiphanies that I had when I, when I came to Pintera. Uh, so when I was carrying out the manual penetration testing, I'd get contacted by organizations to carry out a penetration test in GoPro, let's say Monday to Friday. And it'd be carried out from 8 o'clock to 7 o'clock. You didn't want to contract the penetration test over the weekend because that costs extra. And obviously, you wouldn't want them to work outside of normal uh, business hours because, okay, that would also cost extra. And that led to large parts of the IT infrastructure <coughs> of organizations simply not getting tested. For example, everything that happens outside of business hours, backup, replication, and all of that, the things that happen 
on the weekends and um, outside of normal business hours because these are IT processes that shouldn't impact normal business work, but still are extremely important uh, to, uh, to the organization and its productivity. They would never get tested simply because the penetration tester wasn't present at that time. So that's also one of the, the great advantages of automated security validation. As you say, you can have it running 24 seven. You can have it running for several days at a time Day, out and, uh, day in and day out, uh, on the weekends, at night, all the time, so you really get a complete picture of which components within your organization really are vulnerable, and not just the ones that are, that are in the limelight and that get used during normal business hours, during normal weekends. Yeah, I mean, to me, I, I find that if I'm not doing security validation during not only business hours, but outside of business hours when my environments change, right? Our environments and our computing doesn't stay the same all day long, right? Especially now in the world of cloud computing. Right. In cloud computing, your, 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 your payloads and, and everything you're working on, your microservices, they function very differently, right? If I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm uh, selling concert tickets and I know that at 10 a.m. all of my concert tickets go to sale, well, what am I doing at 6 a.m.? I'm building out all of my computing capacity because I know that there's going to be a bunch of people trying to buy Taylor Swift tickets at 10 a.m. Right. And they're all going to be on from 6 a.m. or the moment I allow them to sit in a waiting list to buy the tickets. Right. So there's people, I've got an increased amount of traffic and that traffic's going to reach its, 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 its record at 9 or 10 a.m. And then people are going to buy tickets and they're slowly going to start fading in within two hours of this event. So around noonish, my traffic's going to go back to normal business operations, right? And then this is kind of the balancing of your, your IT infrastructure load. Now, what a lot of people don't know, and I think one of, one of the common uh, mistakes that we see within, you know, IT infrastructure and infrastructure teams in general in these cases is they're never partnering with security outside of the traffic handling, meaning the DDoS aspect of it. But when you're increasing your, your, your payloads, you're adding more computing power, you're introducing uh, uh, more vulnerabilities to your environment potentially because you're compromising. Uh, you could be changing your firewall rules. You could be dismissing specific policies within your, 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 your perimeter firewall in order to, 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 to take in all this traffic. And threat actors potentially know that and can take advantage of it. If you're not validating when you're doing this, sure. you're really introducing a, a, a kind of a new risk vector at, at, at a height time, right? And we saw that with the target breach in 2009, right? Black Friday. Right, right. Right, like the height of shopping is, is, is when they took advantage of that. You know, you... you... So I say that there's no two ways about it. You need to check all the time. You need to think of all the eventualities. You need to really have someone keep an eye on all of your IT processes. And if it's not in a manual way, then it has to be said, uh, automated validation, in my opinion, is the only way that we're going to survive, so to speak. Um, because also thinking back to, uh, let's say, my, my roots, um, I was there anyone that uh, monitored a firewall log in the last few decades can confirm that there are automated attacks happening constantly. Uh, 
you can see the you can, if, you, if you watch the firewall logs of any externally facing resources, you can see automated attacks coming from all across the world. This is not new. Okay, this is decades old. Um, so it's one of my favorite things to look at sometimes, right? Look at your firewall logs. Right. See where the attacks are. <laughs> well, you know, security isn't for the faint of heart. True. And I'm thinking if automated attacking, automated criminality has been a thing for decades, why have we waited so long with automated security validation? I mean, the bad guys are checking all the time whether we have any vulnerabilities in, for example, externally facing assets, and if you have any sort of malware within your internal organization. So the bad guys have been automatically checking whether there are any vulnerabilities that they can exploit for years and years. So it's really just high time that the good guys also have their own version of this constant validation of the environment. Yeah, so you're bringing up uh, uh, what I like to call the, the ultimate dilemma. And that dilemma is between um, two things, all right? That dilemma is between validating um, um, validating your security to managing your budget. There's there's a huge, huge difference in that, right? Right? Because what you'll hear a lot of people push back on when you say that, why aren't you validating your security 24-7, to go, it costs too much. Right? Sure. Uh, it's a gamble. It absolutely is. So, uh, is it a gamble or is it an investment? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to say, on my own personal practice, um, I know a lot of uh, CEOs that say, no, I'm not going to do this investment in security, uh, in IT security, simply because, well, things have gone well so far. You know, I've been lucky so far. And that's really the thing. Um, across all my manual penetration tests, and also um, in my time at Pentaris, having automated penetration tests to carry out, I would say simple, the only thing that was protecting most of the organizations that I take a look at from serious compromise was blind luck. Blind luck, absolutely. So had any threat actor really um, made a point of attacking that certain organization, or had someone within that organization really just clicked on that bad link, well, then they would have had a really terrible day. So it's really been just blind luck protecting a lot of organizations. And this really does lead a lot uh, to a lot of decision makers, CISOs, and CEOs saying, hey, you know, I've been okay so far. Why should I do this really big security investment? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this is a big security investment, right? I think there's a um, there's a decision that security practitioners and security leaders have to make when they're practicing cyber. The decision is risk. Do I want to know my risk? My risk doesn't exist between 8 to 5 or my business hours. My risk exists 24-7, 365. Now, I have to look at what critical assets, what assets introduce the most critical risk to my organization. That's not always processes, right? That could be data, could be vendors, it could be 500, 600 different things. It's never just the same thing. And at different times of the year, my business changes and can introduce new risks to the business. And it might not just be the changes that I introduced. I mean, organizations always work with external partners and advise consultants and use third-party services on the internet. They might exhibit vulnerability. 
I mean, websites and services get breached all the time. Well, I mean, this is classic in the PCI, right, in the payment processing space. Almost every single major company in the world today outsources their PCI through a third party, right? Like a Stripe, a Square, right. a whoever. And so when you see them do a PCI declaration, they're saying, we're doing a PCI declaration. Um, and it's, it's, it's really the responsibility of Stripe or Square to do X, Y, Z. Well, if Stripe or Square tomorrow have a vulnerability and your credit card data is breached through Stripe and Square, yeah. your regulator isn't going to care that, that you offsource or, or off, you, you, you offshore that risk to them. That's not an acceptable means of offshoring. Yeah. Right. And um, it's, it's going to be unavoidable. Um, you will have services, uh, third-party services that we use in private and also at work. And so there's always going to be some element that's not under our own direct control. So someone that there's, might there's... be working with might introduce a vulnerability to our environment. And for just for example, it might not even be something technological something that we can patch or wall off by a firewall. And simply if a website that my employees work with uh, gets breached and the credentials that they've been using there become uh, common knowledge, well, then that just introduces a new attack vector to my own organization. So we're always going to have to make sure that we're that we're secure, so, even the parts of the things that we are under control. So, so you're talking about a talent gap here, right? We're talking about kind of having to fix something from the root up, right? right? There's 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 a change of thinking. I know that you guys at Pantera released a new book. We did. We did. Absolutely. Castle Defenders. Castle Defenders. Mommy's late for dinner again. And Emma and Oliver are frustrated. Daddy comes to the rescue with spaghetti. Dads make spaghetti. I'm... I mean, I make spaghetti. <laughs> I, I, I can relate to that. I mean... My kid still prefers my wife's cooking, but I don't blame him. She's a much better cook than I am. I'm a father of a three-year-old daughter, and, well, right now I'm not at home with her. I'm here on a business trip. And one of the ideas behind this book, and I love our marketing department for this, is the idea of giving recognition to well, all the cyber defenders out there. Yep. And we, obviously, there are, there are the roles in society, like policemen and firefighters, they get recognition, which they should, of course. But there's also the role of, I would say, cyber defender that deserves a lot of recognition that they simply don't get. For example, every time we, uh, every time that I travel internationally every time that I pay with my credit card and so on and so forth. In the background, there are all sorts of IT processes that have been secured by people that are doing their job, giving me the feeling that, sure, I can use my credit card here, you know, I can uh, use this website and so on and so forth. And that's all fine. So it's only fine because there was really somebody putting time and effort into making sure that these commonplace IT things that we aren't really uh, even aware of secure and we really wanted to be in a position to show the younger generation hey there, there really are real life heroes out there doing things that we really aren't aware of and also another thing that i really like about this book is it also not just aims to give recognition to those that deserve it but also does seek to educate a little bit so in the book there's also some really practicable it security 
bits of advice, things that everyone can use. And personally, I would say the thing that moves me and also my wife the most is the fact that maybe one day when I manage to teach her a bit to read, maybe she'll be able to understand why daddy's constantly business trips, you know, why he works long hours, and so on and so forth. So she, she can also get a read and understanding of that. And who knows, maybe she might step into my footsteps someday, something that I... I, I, I think we all hope, from a legacy perspective, that our kids follow a path if we've taken an honorable path. Fair? Yeah. <laughs> like an honor, like Hollywood tends to, glor to, to, to glamorize the the criminals and that the fact that their kids become criminals after them. And I think we've kind of reached the idea where we as, as, as practitioners of security, as people who want to do the good, good what well, we want to responsibly disclose the work that, that the important work that you and Pantera do, the work that, that I do, the work that Danny does and Brian and Adi and, and, and Alyssa and everyone else here do, right? That this is, it's work that will never, you know, Cops are never recognized until they do something bad. Also true. Practitioners are the same way. No one knows who we are until there's a breach. And then when there's a breach, there's what I like to call the armchair quarterbacking. Well, they should have done right. this. And then you've got what I like to call the sly salespeople who go, well, if they only had me, then that would have solved all their problems. You know, buy my box. My right. box solves all your problems. You know, it's just IT security when it doesn't work. And yeah, unfair. Uh, uh, very similar to you know you brought up fire and police, right? Fire doesn't make it to a fire on time. That's when everyone goes, "Why didn't the fire make it on time?" Yeah. Yeah. So I also think that we can give a little bit of recognition to the good work that the cyber that the cybersecurity community is doing every day, and really just to show also the younger generation here, these are really the people that have a real effect on our day-to-day -day lives. Just making sure that we can go about using our media and our devices and traveling and making bank transfers and so on and so forth with peace at night. And that just doesn't happen on its own. It happens because people took their job seriously. And did their job. And there's, there's a lot of those. Um, a lot of those people that are unsung heroes. Yeah. Unsung heroes. But you're one of them, Marcel. You put in the hours, you put in the work. Your daughter will look at her dad one day and be proud. I know my son will do the same, right? I know my son will do the same. And I know everyone else here who has a kid, right, um, will will someday our sacrifice, the work that we do will mean something. And unfortunately, that work never means anything, unfortunately. And I say this because it's unfortunately that it has to go that way. Until you prevent or recover from something really, really, really bad. Right. And the thing about, about security is we're all, every so-so, when you don't have a breach and your name isn't in the news, you're happy, right? Like I'm ecstatic. Like, like when people say like, hey, you know, as long as I'm not, no one's writing about me, I'm good. The moment someone writes about you, it becomes an obsession. It becomes like, you know, look what they did to Joe Sullivan, whether or not you agree with what he did at Uber or not. I mean, they want to send the guy to jail for eight years. Yeah. Um, Whether you agree or not, we're not meriting the fact that there are a whole slew of circumstances around it. No, absolutely. So I, I don't, I'm not sure if I be uh, cut out for being a CISO. It has to be said, just like you said, if your name's in the news as a CISO, it's probably not a good sign. 
Yeah, it never is. Let's say so defended against the massive cyber. You know whose name's in the news, though? The big companies that, that prevent it. We stopped the DDoS attack, or we did this, or we did that. You're like, that's wonderful. What about the people behind it? Right. Right, the people behind it. Well, Marcel, thank you for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. All right, I really appreciate it. Hey, y'all, go check out Castle Defenders. By the way, it's a, it's a really, really cool book. Um, and Aviv, the, the CMO over at Patera, was nice enough to write in a dedication to my son in Hebrew, right? Which is really cool because he speaks better Hebrew than English at this point. He's just under two. And it's, uh, it's, it's cool that he'll have a book with a Hebrew dedication. And it's a coloring book. I'm sorry? And a coloring book. And a coloring book. He's not in a coloring yet. He's in, he's, he's in anything that spins, like <laughs> tires, ceiling fans. He's got an engineering mindset. He'll take it apart, put it back in, get it to spin again. Lila Tov is good. And I'll say Dankeschön. <laughs> that, that's my German, right? Pretty good, right? You know, a little, little, little bit of German. Marcel, thank you. Thank you to the team over at Pantera. Thanks to Audience First for for having us here, y'all, on, on behalf of myself and Marcel and the team at Patera, uh, y'all, just enjoy Black Hat and stay cyber safe. Thank you.